So how does it make you feel when you when you hear that I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me? The father is delighting in you. I mean, and he calls you. It's like, um, Pat, do you remember going to your kids' plays in like elementary school? Uh, how many of you got kids that are elementary school age in here? Okay, so my, you can all relate to this. So my daughter, uh, Mary Catherine, who's eight years old, she's in second grade. The second grade at at this school always does this kind of thing where they're singing songs and do this thing, right? And and so every year we drag all her older siblings to this play because she had to come when they were older and watch them do it. So we're like, y'all are coming to support your little sister. But it's awful, right? It's just, I mean, it's like they're all out of tune, like it's kids tripping like it's organized it's like you know weird synthesizer trying to do the background music for them it's elementary school second grade musical right it's just you don't go because it's this grand performance that you're going to really enjoy and you're going to get a lot out of why do you go yeah because you love your child and you sit there and you watch it and you go, and there's a moment in that play as dysfunctional and messed up as it is where you just go, that's my daughter. That's my son. Right? There's a, that's why you go. You don't, beca- you don't go because it's a perfect uh, production uh, of the Christmas story or whatever it might be. Oh, how the Father just simply delights and you, as a son or daughter, to come to Him. And all your dysfunction, and all your non-perfect program self, uh, to just come to Him. Y'all turn over to Revelation chapter 4. I don't think I have the... No, I don't have the passage in here. Turn to Revelation 4. And uh, Revelation 4 is this really glorious picture of the throne room of heaven where there's these, you know, there's this throne room with with all the tribes, the 12 thrones around it, and all these these elders who have crowns on, and and all these uh, creatures that are worshiping in the throne room and the elders are taking the crowns and they're casting them down at the feet uh, of the Lamb. And then you come to chapter 5 and, and God's holding the scroll, right? And you sing, you sing that, you know, that wonderful song that we sing about that's Revelation 5 and, the, and the, someone, John, is there and he's in the throne room and he's weeping because no one's worthy to open the scroll and then all of a sudden the Lamb appears. And the Lamb open takes and breaks the seal and is worthy. He's the only one worthy to open the scroll. You just get this glorious picture and they all are like surrounding this beautiful throne room, worshiping God. And then look at, look at chapter 5. 
And uh, look at verses, we're just going to read verses 1 through 8. And then I saw on the right hand of him who was seated on the, on the throne a scroll within and on the back, written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll in his right hand, and the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed God's, your people for God from every tribe, language, people, and nation. And you made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. It's the, one of the most glorious pictures we have of being in the presence of God and of His Son. I didn't do it justice just trying to describe it. The words, it's almost as if John is just trying to describe to you the majesty and the glory of what he's, what he's seeing here. You know, what's, you know what's incredible about that? In verse 8, what is in the presence of all that glory? Yeah. This, this bowl in verse 8. And when they had taken the skull and the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. How many of you actually think that in that bowl are your prayers? Because here's what I always think when I read that passage. As I go... Yeah, those are the, the prayers of, of John Wesley. Those are the prayers of Jonathan Edwards. Uh, those are the prayers of Joe Novenson. Those are the prayers of all these people who I think are really, really holy. But yet, they're your prayers. They're my prayers. And what is incense good for? good for one thing the smell and so you get this picture and then just get this for a moment okay in the midst of your massive and my massive ADHD dysfunctional prayers where our minds are jumping all over the place in the midst of all that dysfunction God is sitting in His throne room and he's, He is breathing the incense, the beautiful aroma 
of your prayers. He's not just breathing the King James Version prayers. They're your prayers, sons and daughters of the King. God Himself is going... And He just delights in it. Do you believe that your prayer before the Father... And I would dare say, I would dare say even as I say that, some of you are going, yeah. Like, not, not mine. I can't even like complete a sentence in my prayer. Or it's been so many days and weeks since I've actually spent time in prayer. Yeah, he doesn't hear my prayers. Right? But God is up there going, just enjoying the aroma of his sons and daughters. Those are those are the prayers that he enjoys from you. You know, it makes makes me wonder and kind of in my um prayer life that it really is your prayer life there really is a spiritual warfare going on that Satan wants to disarm you of one of the two of the greatest most powerful weapons that you have prayer and the word and I would say submit to you that as a youth pastor who did youth ministry for 17 years I neglected the two primary powerful things in my personal life more than any other period of my life in those 17 years of ministry. Yeah, I was teaching, I was preaching, I was counseling kids, I was caring for them. But the pace of youth ministry, I never... Two things. One, usually prayer is not a a priority within your staff, within your pastoral staff within your staff at your church because it's seen as unproductive honestly let's just be really honest right I was I shouldn't be recording now I was at a place that prayer would have been considered uh, not very productive like you're going to go spend an hour in prayer every day what like we got to get on with like getting the programs organized and like getting like going to visit kids and like we really this is a production here. We don't have time for prayer. Flip over to Mark 1 for a second. I want to share a passage with you. Because the evil one loves more than anything. Um, does anybody listen to John Mark Comer? Anybody know who that is? No? Oh, man. Okay, so two two things you got to do. One is a podcast called This Cultural Moment by a guy named John Mark Comer and Mark Sayers. It's <coughs> outstanding to help you start kind of a hopeful view of kind of what's going on in your culture. Uh, and John Mark Comer says that there's three. He's a pastor out in Portland, Oregon. He's kind of outside our, our realm. He's charismatic, but he's a lights out preacher. Um, very good. And uh, he said, he said that the, he believes the three greatest devices of the evil one today are busyness, hurry, and distraction. Uh, and I just recommend to you one, one sermon of his. It's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Uh, really good. You can find it online somewhere. Um, 
But think, look at Mark chapter 1 for a minute and starting in uh, verse 29. Can somebody read starting in verse 29? Yeah. Just keep reading until I stop you. Okay. Alright, and immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew and James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve him. That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. Okay, that's good. So, here is... Uh, Dan Spader was pretty influential in my life, and he, met, he said something one time, uh, at least his studies. I don't know Dan Spader very well. Uh, but he got me on this track on the person of Jesus that has changed my life. And uh, he said, uh, the busier Jesus got, the more he prayed. And here's an example of Jesus who's been teaching in the synagogue. And he goes in the syn- he comes out of the synagogue and he enters it. It's like he's going to his friend's house probably to rest. And to get away. And what happens right when he walks in the door? (coughs) Somebody else needs him. Whose mom was it? Peter's mom is not doing well. So he he does a healing. And then what happens as he's in the house? Who shows up at the door at, I think, 6 p.m.? The Jewish Sabbath ends. And uh, who shows up at the door? The entire town shows up at the door. I don't know if that means every single person, but it's a lot, right? The the emphasis that Mark is putting on is there was a lot of people at the door. And Jesus is healing the sick and the blind and the lame, and He's doing all these miracles over and over. And it, it sounds like the picture is that this goes on for a long time. And Jesus, in the midst of all this ministry craze, in the midst of all the busyness, what does He do? before the sun even rises. He gets up, he goes up onto a mountain into a desolate place, and he spends time with his Father. Why does Jesus do this? It's a window of us. There's only a few of you are in this first session, so I can say this again. But it's a window for us into this beautiful person named Jesus that never did life on his own. He was the most dependent person to ever live. He says in John 5.19 and John 5.30, I do nothing on my own. I only do what I see my Father doing. Jesus cannot do life without His Father. He cannot. He doesn't know how to do life without prayer. He doesn't know how to do life without the Word. He doesn't know how to do life without the Spirit. He doesn't function life independently. Ever. It's not who He is, right? If if Hebrews 1 is correct, and as we're watching Jesus, we're actually peering into God's 
face Himself. And we're learning who God is. God, in the existence of eternity past, in the existence and eternity future, is a relational God existing in three persons, the Father, Son, and the Spirit. Sinclair Ferguson put it this way, that there's never been a quiet universe. It's the, it's the beauty of, of Jesus is operating in who he is. He is a dependent, childlike when it comes to his relationship with his father. And how often does Jesus talk about children? A lot, right? In Mark 10, you can turn there if you want. I think it's verse 13 through 16. Jesus, the disciples are... Like Jesus is at like the height of his ministry, and all these people are doing all these amazing things. And and uh, by the way, Jesus in Mark one prays, and then his disciples come and they go, "Hey, where have you been? What's going on?" And Jesus goes, "We need to go to this town. My job is to go from town to town." Like, where did he get that answer from? Like, wait, this is what's crazy about this because we. We think of Jesus as just spiritual and he floats above life and he has like all these different SD cards that he pulls out of different places and they're all downloaded to his brain. Like, oh yeah, I knew to go there. I knew to go to Samaria, to the woman at the well. Like I had this appointed. Like, yes, he is God, but he was in such close communion with his father in prayer that he went to his father about everything. Father, where do you want him to go next? Father, what should what should we do here? Like there was this, this, this utter dependence. He was very childlike in that sense. So Mark 10 is this crazy craziness of Jesus' life, uh, the busyness and everything's ramping up. And it's very natural that if Jesus is doing all these miracles and healing all these people and he's this you know, he's preaching with authority, the most amazing preaching they've ever heard. This teacher, this God man, he's walking among them, and they get this sense that wouldn't you want to bring your children to see Jesus? Like I'd want to bring my kids. Like, man, I want Jesus to bless my children. I want this priest, this rabbi, to lay his hands on my children and bless them. So they start bringing their children to him, and what do the disciples do? They go, let's like not bother Jesus with this because their view, right? We're like 100% opposite or 180 uh, opposite from where uh, their view of children was in the first century was basically, uh, let's just get you big enough so you can start working the family farm and work the family business and provide income for the family. Um, Now, we've kind of done a 180, uh, right? We, We really over... Uh, do it with our kids a lot of times. Um, but Jesus Jesus is like, what, did, what does it say in that text? If you're there, Mark 13 through, six, 10, 13 through 16, I believe it is. What is Jesus' response to the, to the disciples? What's the word that's in there? Indignant. Indignant. What does that mean? Very angry. Yeah. Jesus was angry. Why was he angry? Because they were neglecting children from coming to him. 
because Jesus realizes that the disciples have got the wrong picture of what it means to come to him. You and I oftentimes have the wrong picture of what it means to come to God in prayer. I've got to, right? We, we commit this sin that we've committed a thousand times before. And the shame and the guilt, ah, Father, I can't come to you again. How many times do our kids screw up in life and come to us over and over and as parents, you go, I love you. I forgive you. Let's talk about this. Your father loves you and all your mess and all your dysfunction and all your crazy. He wants you to come like a child, a dependent child to come to him. How do children come to... What, what are children like? Just ask that question. What are, here's, what, here's what a childlike prayer looks like. So I started doing prayer cards with my kids. I honestly, like, y'all just really hear me out. Hopefully my boss won't listen to this. Paul Miller won't listen to this. But I thought when I started with See Jesus a year ago, I thought this whole prayer card thing was, was like ridiculous. And I thought, this is just really silly. Like, knowing me... I'm in ministry. I am awful administratively. I'm going to end up losing all my index cards anyway. Um, so I tried the app. They have an app for it. I couldn't do that either. So I actually started like started with like five cards and just started writing on them. And now I've probably got 30 cards. I carry them around with me. I think they're in here somewhere. Yeah, here they are. So I've got I've got them here. Um, they're really messy. Some of them are my kids. So I started doing them with my kids. And, and this was Mary Catherine's card for her brother Tyler. She said, Daddy, my 8-year-old, my 18-year-old just went off to college at UTK. And uh, so we were praying for him because it's the most joyful and awful time of your life when your first kid goes to college. It's horrible. And, uh, <laughs> and so she said, Daddy, I want to do a prayer request to Tyler. I was like, all right, you said two Tyler, so I'm going to write down two Tyler. And then I hand her the card, and this is what she wrote out. Help with college. Number two, help with work at college. Number three, help with getting up for college. <laughs> Number four, help with him not to be late for college. Number five, help with out being sad and missing us. Like, guys... It is not, Thou, old Father, are glorious, and above all gods, and wonderful and mighty are your ways. Like, no. No, God wants you talking to Him like a child. What's wrong with this? What, are all, what, are, what, is it, what all do you see wrong with this? I guess just put your school teacher hat on. Spelling. Spelling. It's awful. Lines. Right? Yeah, lines. lines. Like, Simplicity. what in the world? Maybe I should have given her a lined card. Simplicity. It's simple. Yeah. Repetitive. Repetitive? Uh, anybody's prayers in here like that? Uh, yes. Thank you. Right? You think Jesus gets tired of 
God gets tired of hearing your repetitive prayers. My wife and I get tired of hearing Mary Catherine go, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy Chris, come up here. It's kind of like this, right? Especially when she was younger, and if y'all have had kids, you know what this is like. Or picture me as being the annoying middle schooler uh, who's coming to you and going, Hey, Chris. Hey, Chris. Hey, Chris. Hey, Chris. (laughs) But but that is the beauty of, like, my child, Mary Catherine, coming up to us and just constantly, Hey, Daddy. Hey, Daddy. Hey, Daddy. Right? And one time she had to, like, she had to go, she's, like, calling my name all this time. She's, like, doing ballerina twirls or something like that. Right, and she comes up to me and she goes, she's been calling my name from the room. She goes, Daddy, watch me. <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah, so I put the phone down because right? I'm just as guilty as my kids in that area. So isn't it, isn't it amazing to think that your father longs for you to just keep tugging on the hem of his garment? repeatedly asking over and over and on it's like a beach ball that keeps going shoving under the water what happens when it comes up what happens when you shove an inflated beach ball under the water pops. It goes, pops back up right that's my brain when i start praying the to-do list pops up the the next thing i need to pray for this i need to do this like If your mind is ADHD in prayer, your father understands. He still wants to hear your ADHD prayers. He wants to hear you in all your mess. So what what are, we got a few more minutes. This is a fun exercise. So what are children like? Just tell me what they're, let me see if I can find a, a blank screen. I'll just use this one. What are children like? In the moment. Okay. In the moment. What else? Honest. Honest. Okay. Uh, loving. Yeah. Trusting. Man, this is so awesome. I love hearing youth pastors give these answers because when I do this with like crotchety old adults it's all it's all negative selfish yeah yeah that's true right that's true insistent curious curious what was that over there random random yeah impatient Needy, observant, excited, what else, anything else? Genuine. Repetitive. Creative. Oh yeah, sorry, you said creative. Genuine. Yeah, I mean we could go, we could go on for days, right? What are toddlers like? Joanna, you're learning a lot from this. The new mom. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, self-destructive, messy, uh, all over the place, right? All these, right, y'all have a lot of great positive things on here. And the, the beauty, the beauty of that is that when we start, when we start thinking about um, the way that children are and, and all their stuff, what's one word that you would do, that you would describe it as? They're just a mess. Right? They're just they're just messy in all their ways and all the ways they approach uh, approach life and they approach God. I'm trying to find a verse in here that I was gonna read for you. If I can track it. I find it on my thing. Yeah, it's it's just it's just that they're absolutely a mess. And so if you take Mark 10, that passage, and you just change the Mark 10, 13 through 16, and you transplant them or ch- child or children with the word mess, uh, look how beautiful of a picture of the gospel this is. People were bringing a little mess to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked the mess. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the little mess come to me. And do not hinder the mess, for the kingdom of God belongs to the mess. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little mess will never enter it. And he took the mess in his arms, placed his hands on the mess, and blessed the mess. It's us. Jesus knows you and all your mess, so go to him in all your mess. Just talk to him. Have fun talking to your father. Teach this to your students that, man, you... Be a, you're a dependent child. You can't do life without Him. Just tell Him all your fears, all your emotions, all your struggles, all your joys, all your dreams, all your failures. It's the freedom of being able to go to God with, with all our messiness. That's the, that's the joy of it. So, in our last three minutes, we're going to pray... But this time, I'm giving you a little bit of structure to just have the freedom right now to go to God in all your mess as a child, like a dependent child, and just talk to your father. Okay? All right, let's pray. Amen. So how was was that time any different from the first? It's okay if it wasn't. In what ways was it a little bit different for those of you who thought it was? Yes? I feel like I usually, when I start prayer, I have like a 
not a script, but you like I think this day or this that and I just subconsciously like, go through. And this one was kinda like going in, it was like first mess in my mind. Mm. Just pregnant for that. And then even like things awesome. like looking back now it's like it was really random too, just my prayers Yeah. Yeah, mine too. You're in good company, I think. <laughs> yes? Uh, this time I prayed more about myself than less about others. Yeah, good. Is that okay to do? Yeah. Where do little children start? With themselves. Like, God's okay with that. <laughs> good, thanks for sharing that. Um, I found myself, like, hiding less, I guess. Um, I think in a lot of ways like I could be like the disciple rebuking myself with mm. prayer instead of letting That's all a good point. come to God. It was almost freeing and kind of enjoyable mm-hmm. after that. Like, I'm just like, well, you know, this is just all part of how you made me to be. And you're delighted that I'm talking to you. Yeah. Like, anytime a kid comes up to me and talks, I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anybody ever fall asleep when you pray? <laughs> okay, somebody said this the other day, and I, th- I thought, wow, this is really good. It's really freeing. Um, well, two comments. First of all, you know, Joe Nevinson, um, just a really godly man. I really respect him a lot. We used to do these prayer things for our Presbyterian. Joe would lead them, and I was the first one there this time. And I was like, where's Joe? He's not in the prayer room. And I look in the sanctuary, and he's walking circles around sanctuary. I said, Joe, what are you doing? He said, I have to stand up and walk around to pray or otherwise I fall asleep. <laughs> I thought, okay, if Joe falls asleep. Um, but somebody said this to me the other day. They were like, if you're a parent, what is one of the most beautiful moments in your entire parenthood with your children when they fall asleep in your lap? And somebody just said, do you really think the God who hung the Andromeda galaxy and calls you son and daughter goes, I cannot believe they fell asleep on me. (laughs) And there's a sense in which, wow, what greater way to fall asleep than in your father's lap? He loves. I mean, it's just like like we've got just this, just this such warped view of what God expects out of us in prayer. And partly, uh, I want to encourage you guys, just as youth pastors, um, man, as a pastor in front of a church, like my public prayers were so much better than if you like came into my prayer closet. So like when you're praying out loud in front of your students, model for them childlike prayer. Model for them like when I'm distracted. Model for them lament. Model for them real. Like because because what's happening is they're trying it's like that doctrine of a job adoption that's not translating. They're seeing mentors and people in their life pray, and they think, oh, their prayer life must be great. That must be what it means to be a really true, mature Christian. And yet all the time, all of us are like lying to one another, 
saying that our prayer lives are great and telling each other we'll pray for each other and then we forget, right? So like, let's just model childlike dependence with our students. And then I think they might actually be drawn to it more. You were going to say something? Pretty much what you said about um, falling asleep. I used to feel so much guilt about that. Of course, because it turned into like this guilt and shame thing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I, a, good, a good friend of mine at church said, like, would it be better to, like, because I, I was waking up for a while at 1.30 every morning. And then I would, like, read or get up or do stuff. And then I was like, no, I'm just going to pray. And then I would fall asleep and then wake up thinking the morning, like, oh. I didn't even pray. I said I was going to pray when I did, you know. <laughs> she said the same thing. Like, what a great way to fall asleep, knowing that you were, like, connecting with your Lord. Yeah. And that he wasn't angry about it. I was yeah. like, oh, thank goodness. <laughs> yeah. It's very freeing. So, yes, ma'am. I have a question. So, like, I feel like I was raised just on the, the model of, like, the Lord's Prayer and, like, mm-hmm. the whole Acts thing. And, like, yeah. Question. Like, how does that come into this, too? Of, like, this is the model that Jesus prayed, and then... This also, like, obviously, he loves all of our prayers, but what do, what do you have to speak to that? Yeah, yeah. I, I, the Acts prayer model was helpful for me as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I, just, I think it's fine if those models work. Some of you might want to read Valley of Vision prayers. You might want to read someone else's prayer. That's all. I think, I think there's a lot of variety that you can do in prayer. But I, I'm just trying to say the freedom uh, of even the Lord's Prayer I mean, think how childlike it is. And Jesus is saying, here's another crazy thought for you, okay? These are disciples who knew, most of them understood as a Jewish boy, their whole lives they have been spending in prayer. Why did they ask Jesus to teach us how to pray? You ever thought about that? Because he's doing it different. Yeah. I actually think they're hearing Jesus pray and childlikeness and just utter dependence on the Father. And they're going, huh, this is a lot different than what I've learned my whole life. Jesus, will you teach me how to pray? And Jesus just says, my Father who is in heaven, <laughs> give me, I depend on you for daily bread. Like, it's just so, it's amazing. Right? It's the beauty of entering into the dependence of Jesus and understanding who He is as a person. He teaches us even those simple things. That's a good... good does that help? Yeah, because I, I feel like it. I feel this pressure sometimes to be like, oh, I need to, like... If I don't praise God when I'm praying, then I'm, like... Yeah. I'm in the right posture of heart, and I, I can't just, like, I don't know, be casual yeah. and make it about me or something. Like hey, like, yeah, and it's okay for you guys. Like, I don't, I don't know if you have permission from your bosses, your lead pastors or whatever... But it is really okay for you to go, you know what, I'm going to go sit by the river for an hour this afternoon without a book in my hand, without a curriculum, without a Bible study that I'm writing, and I'm just going to be still. I'm just going to be silent. Right? There's a lot of people that probably freak out about over like listening to God, but I really do believe that... Yes, God speaks through His Word, but I really also believe that He answers prayer. And when you're sitting still and the, the noise inside kind of finally starts to settle down, you hear answers to prayer. Not audible voices, not promoting that, just 
go with you here, right? Sometimes your prayer time might be listening to music and just contemplating God. Sometimes it might be praying a passage. Sometimes it might be just being absolutely silent and listening to the birds. Might be reading a formal prayer, if you like that, right? Is it? Children have tons of variety. I mean, just think about what, what would a child do when you start asking those questions. What would Jesus do? What would a child do? Okay. All right. Um, if you are interested, uh, see Jesus does cohorts, which are basically gatherings of people who have a common cause or common purpose. And we do prayer cohorts and person of Jesus cohorts uh, that I that I lead. And if you're interested in doing one of those, talk to me. I'd love to. And it's just wrestling through prayer together, read through a praying life, talk about the concepts in it. Um, it's purely to help us become praying youth pastors. So... Um, and those of you who weren't in the last one and you didn't get one of these, you're welcome to grab one of these uh, as you leave. Thank you, guys. Appreciate your time.